No Further Information. It's a podcast for cops and magicians. Uh, this particular episode, we're going to focus on cops. You're going to hear from the next storyteller, who's a friend of mine, young guy, on the job only for two years and then left because uh, cops are dicks. But uh, he's going to tell his story, and you're going to hear um, what the challenges are for a young guy, a smart guy, an ambitious guy who uh, I took under my wing and turned into uh, an amazing guy, an amazing cop, and an amazing friend. Before we get to the episode, today's intro is going to be just a teeny tiny bit longer, so stay with me. Uh, By now, you've uh, heard a couple of episodes. Uh, I'm still uh, taking in your feedback. By now, you've uh, hopefully listened to uh, some of our episodes out there and uh, shared the content with a friend. Um, hope you're subscribing on YouTube and giving us a like to let people know what you think. And most importantly, comment. Tell me uh, what you think about the podcast, what you like, what you don't like. I do want to mention a few things that I forgot to address. When you hear uh, censorship, um, again, that's uh, important information that's being redacted. That is to protect my storyteller. I do also want to remind my listeners that... Um, you know, everyone is working here and appearing as guests uh, free and of their own time uh, and out of the kindness of their hearts, including my producer and I. Um, we will get uh, some sort of donation platform up and going in, uh, in a minute. But the best thing you can do right now is just share the content. Once we can build popularity, then we can justify charging you people and asking for handouts. Uh, that or I can start selling my body under the uh, 635 bridge in Farmer's Branch. The last thing I want to mention is we need storytellers. Go to www.nfipodcast.com, submit your interest to be a storyteller, and we'll reach out to you. Please make sure you review the terms and conditions before you appear. I'm running out of friends to ask for interviews. Um... And, you know, eventually they're going to start asking for payment and, you know, they're going to come to my house because a lot of them know where I live. So by you not appearing on the podcast and telling your story, you're putting my life and my family's life in jeopardy. Have you ever noticed when, like, people get real serious, they start referring to it as a home instead of a house? Like, And then they refer to their kids as children, right? So they go, when you come into my home and you threaten my children by not appearing on my podcast. Anyway, I hope you're enjoying the content. Let's take a listen to Officer Bob from Texas. Bob, or former officer Bob, I was a police officer for two years in Texas. Uh, Experiences where you have to go out on the street and figure that out during FTO. 
when it comes to talking to people, there's also an element too. I mean, you're young. Yeah. Right? So maybe not tons of life experience. You kind of have to learn how to talk to people, right? Oh, yeah. I, I, I remember there there were many times where I got punked, you know. Well, give us a story. Um, so there was this um, this fencing uh, company that was parking in the alleyway, and they were, you know, fixing the fence. And so they had their truck blocking in, you know, blocking the entire alleyway. And this lady pulled up, and she was honking and hollering, you know, trying to get him to move. Um, and he basically told her, like, hey, you can just drive around the block goes in through the other end and just go to your house that way but she was you know she was steadfast she was like nope no, my house is right there i am going to get to my house through this way and so you know the police came and i was one of the unit that responded and uh they, they send multiple units for a parking disturbance <laughs> yeah every call that we go to is per policy that we have to have two people small town bullshit <laughs> Small town bullshit. <laughs> We're a population of 60,000 people. but um, Small town to me. <laughs> so um, I was one of the unit, and it didn't help that my other uh, partner was also like around my age. So 21, 22 people. Fresh out the academy, young. Yeah. Yep, pretty much same as me. And um, I was talking to the lady, and he was talking to the, uh, the, the guy who was fixing the fence. And... Um, it was just basically like, um, okay, you know, we finished talking to uh, our, our person. Now let's switch. And so I went to the uh, to the guy and uh, that was fixing the fence. And I was like, hey, man, you can't be blocking the alleyway. You have to move, you know. And uh, I was dumb, so I couldn't, like, you know, recite the law. Like, you cannot block the alleyway. But I know that, you know, it is against the law that you block sure. the alleyway. <laughs> sure. And so he was like. Nah, man, I think you're just scared of her, man. Like, you know, she was pointing fingers here and there, and she was yelling and screaming at you, man. I get it, bro. Like, I'll move. It's not a big deal. And he was just really, like, belittling me, and he was like, yeah, you're just a little pussy, man. Like, you know, um, like, you, you you get swayed, you know, just because she told you to. And so it, it was, it was. Uh, was there any truth to that? I felt belittled. Uh and uh, the lady wasn't being mean to me per se. It was more of she was frustrated that um, he was blocking her alleyway. And of course, this guy, this furniture guy, whatever he does, this trucker sees that, and he's like, "Yeah, yeah, you fine. I'll move because you're a little bitch, and you're obviously." Yeah, and then you know, after we finished the, with the call, and the normal thing to do is me and my partner door to door, and uh, he said the same thing. He's like, "Oh, you got punked," you know. Uh, that was nice <laughs> and, from your partner. Yeah, but uh, it's it's like um, fresh out of FTO, you know, um, the first few calls. Uh, how, did, how did that inform your future interactions? I mean, you have a baby face, right? <laughs> you you appear young. And so I've always told, you know, I, I used to tell other officers, I used to tell students, like, you have to find your deficiencies, whatever they may be, and you have to overcompensate you i'm sorry you have to compensate for them in order to overcome those deficiencies i mean a, an officer who um isn't particularly large because you're you're a tall guy and you're built but an officer who's small frame very skinny people are going to immediately assume oh i can fight them and so in order to compensate for that i used to tell officers be the best at what you do know the law better than anyone else learn some skill or combat skill compensate 
And so when people see you young, fresh out of the, not only do you look new, I mean, I feel like you're going to fucking look like this 10 years from now. Not only do you look new, you are new. How did you compensate for that? Um, I think my biggest influence, um, especially during the academy, was, you know, um, during your DWI instructions, you know, um, how you taught me uh, how DWI is very methodical. You know, you uh, have probable cause to stop them. You you look for all the indicators that, you know, point to them being intoxicated, and then you conduct SFST, which, you know. It's pure. It's it's very, you know, sequential, uh, this, this, then this. If you have enough... Um, if you have enough um, evidence, then you know you hook them up and you, you know. It makes sense to me. It and it, and it definitely empowered me to go out and do my job. Because you're now armed with science. You're armed with a procedure. You're armed with a goal, and so that <clears throat> gives you a little more confidence. Oh yeah, like uh, definitely. You know, uh, I I was out there every night just you know looking for like um we call it chicken shit traffic stops but i i would you know test my skills and uh i would test my sfst skills on you know not just like uh traffic violations but also um public intoxication right i right. I, I you know you've heard me say well you can use it for pi just as much as because the standard for intoxication when it comes to pi is the same as it is for dwi exactly and uh i use that as my you know like a uh, practicing practice makes perfect right yeah and so uh once once i've you know getting pretty good at it uh, it really gave me a boost in confidence that um you know uh how to how to assess this the the situation how to um how to make the right decision based on information that you observe and be confident in your in your decision that hey i made the right decision you know i didn't i didn't have to like second guess myself and I think that's what DWI does um, to great officers. So you kind of took the DWIs. Did you become the guru out there? Uh, I, I wasn't a guru, you know, um, but I definitely. Um, well, let me ask this. What was the department's attitude on DWIs? Um, let's just say, let me, let me give you a story on this. Um, while I was on training uh, with my first phase FTO, he is, um, he, he told me in the car, like, hey, man, I hate DWI. Um, I was tore. Uh, I, was, I was destroyed on the stand on my very first DWI um, Everybody is. arrest. And uh, he, he just says that, you know, like, I just remember vividly how he, how he described it. He says, I felt this small. Yeah. And he would, you know, hold gesture. Up his, hold up his fingers. Yeah, yeah, he's like, I felt this small on the stand, man. And, like, you know, it's a, it's a harrowing feeling. You're, you're never going to want to be in a courtroom again. And so every chance we get into a DWI encounter or, um, or like SFST, um, what he would do is he would call someone that was more proficient at DWI than him to the scene. And he's like, all right, now watch. And he would make me watch this backup officer conduct SFST. And um, he's like, right, now the call is yours, man. You take it away. You know, like, so mm -hmm. he basically like, you know, push it up to the, to mm -hmm. his backup. Did you have a DWI unit? We don't, but uh, on my shift back when I was in first phase, um, there was a DWI instructor. Uh, but I'm saying you didn't have a specialized unit oh. for, for for catching the DWIs. This is just another officer picking, cl 
cleaning his the fish that he caught, right? Yep, that's yeah. it. No specialized DWI unit. And so how did that, I mean, what did that speak to you? Did you say, well, yeah, fuck that. I, mean, I don't want to do DWIs either. Well, when, when you fresh out of the academy, you're, you're impressionable as I am or as I was. Um, you're still impressionable. <laughs> yeah, de- definitely. Um, but it, it really swayed me. You know, I was like, damn, like this, this DWI is like this giant, scary monster that, you know, <laughs> a lot of people just like avoided at all costs. And uh, yeah, there were times where uh, he would let me conduct the DWI investigation. I would administer SFST and I would stutter and I would, you know, like trip up. And uh, he would like, OK, this is how you do it. And then he would bomb it just as bad as I did. And then he's like, uh, honey, do you have somebody to call who you could call and come pick up? Like, you know, pick your car up or... So you give them runs? Yeah. Like, and he would tell me to get in that person's car and drive it into that parking lot there. And, but I felt like I was just so busy, you know, um, dealing with, you know, family violence and car crashes and... Sure. Just the daytime, you know, um, alarm stuff. And so I didn't have a lot of time to um, hone in my skills, hone in my DWI skills. So whenever I was out of FTO, uh, I was finally placed on night. And uh, that's when I felt like, okay, let's let's figure this thing out. And so you get your first DWI. You make the stop. Tell us about that. Oh, man. On your own. (laughs) Yeah, so uh, first night driving around by myself, man, I was, I was super excited. Like you know, everybody wants to make a, their first night alone, you know, a great night. So I was driving. I remember um, on a service road going southbound, and there's a, there's a, red light, and I remember it was around one two o'clock in the morning. So like very very late at night, early morning, and uh. I'm kind of going over a hill, and all I saw was a car rolling past a red light. So I was like, okay, good enough for me. I tap record, and I uh, kind of like catch up to him, pull him over. And we pulled over to the side of the road, and uh, I was like, hey, you know, officer (laughs) police department, um, you know why I stopped you? You know, the whole spiel, the whole seven steps violation. You said... You asked him, do you know why I stopped you? <laughs> you you playing into that Southern cop role? Listen, boy. Well, you know, funny. You got a broken headlight out. <laughs> no, it seems to be working. <laughs> <laughs> it is broken now. Yeah. Uh, no, that's, so. that's the that's the joke, by the way. You don't have to. When oh. you point out the joke, it's not that funny. <laughs> okay, thanks. Yeah. Um, so the way I was trained was that, um, or the way that, that a lot of people told me was when you ask them, and they told you the the offense that they committed um that in itself looks good on camera that they admitted their own you know yeah but you're a fucking dick i've never once asked a single person do you know why i stopped you because it's our job to tell them why we stopped them right yeah yeah and so you know it's kind of speaks to that like that that crowd culture that that you know you're part of this club now and you you're, you're gonna and you know in your defense I, I, but none of this is an indictment of you but you know on, on and, you know there, there's there's an argument to be made it's like well i don't know any better i've never been a cop so i'm gonna just do as a you know when i'm in rome i'll do as i do you know yeah and, i i 
I think that that is part of the reason. And the second reason is that I've never had any, I guess, real world practical job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if, I, if you see a bunch of people around you stopping every car going, do you know why I stopped you? Yeah. You're, you're, you're going to do it. Right? Yeah. So I, I, I bought into that. Yeah. Um, was it a female driver? No, it was a, it was a young guy like me. Mm-hmm. He was in his 20s. And um, he said, yeah, I'm sorry. I, you know, I'm, I need to get home. I'm running really late. Uh, At 2 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. So I was like, so where where are you coming from? And uh, he turned Church. over and showed me his shirt. And he's like, uh, I just came back from a Kid Cudi show. And I was like, yeah, where at, man? So I was trying to, you know, right. trying to connect with him because, you know, I know. Because you, you're so young and hip. Yeah, because yeah, I'm. you're so, <laughs> like, I, I, I also listen to that type of music. <laughs> yeah, so he was like, yeah, man. Uh, I Hello, just... fellow kids. <laughs> <laughs> so I just got back from the, the American Airlines Center, you know. I took the dart there, so I, I just came back from the dart. And um, and I know those things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, okay. Right. The park and ride, and he's running late, and I was like, okay. Dallas! Okay, all right, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. He's like, and, and. You know what you are? You're like a bad nostalgia you're like a Hallmark card. You're like, hey, do you remember this? <laughs> All right, yeah, let's, let's keep the bully down here. Yeah. Oh, there's going to be more of that. <laughs> yeah, and, and so the natural question was, you know, like concert, drinking. Uh, Got to sure. ask him that. So uh, his eye was a little bit glossy red, but I didn't smell any alcohol on him. Mm-hmm. So I just asked, hey, man, uh, you said you went to a concert. Did you have any drink, you know, there? And, you know, the classic answer, I had two beers, mm-hmm. you know, and I was Always like, two. and I was like, what kind of beer is it? Is it a can bottle? And he's like, oh, no, it's a, uh, two cans. And uh, I was like, yeah, sure, man. Um, give me a second. And so I, you know, I uh, went back to my car, ran his DLC, if there's, if there's any prior, those kind of things, just to be thorough. And then in um they have this thing they're called uh it's like a code word you know when you want somebody to come back you up you say uh your unit number and then you say routine mm-hmm. um and they'll send you another one mm-hmm. and so my partner pulled up and uh also per policy um you can't get anyone out of the right. car unless you have unless another. you have two yeah, people sure 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 um so my partner pulled up and you know he's just basically like a a watcher um so you know i just try to jog through my mind i was like okay um ask him about all the uh what did that angry guy teach me <laughs> yeah oh man so i was like so what, what's the let's start with the medical assessment questions make sure like, i was sitting on your shoulder <laughs> yeah you, you fucking motherfucking <laughs> battle <laughs> fuck this up you stupid <laughs> old shit i was like i don't want to piss him off any more yeah, than i'm I fucking have to. watching you motherfucker. <laughs> i don't care fuck where you are yeah like gonna make gonna make him proud now. yeah so uh yeah don't I, don't, I, don't do that don't do that <laughs> So I pull him out of the car. Um, I didn't pull him out. I asked him to step out. And he was, like, to his credit, he was super cooperative. cooperative. Yeah. He was super nice. He's like, yeah, man, like, look, I'm, I'm more than happy to, you know, um, go through all that. And so, you know, uh, are you wearing any contact lens? Have any concussion? You know, like, is your limbs doing okay? You have surgeries anywhere? Um, and then I went through the uh, SFST. And, uh, you know, the thing about night shift um, and looking into people's eyes is that, you know, <laughs> I just – First time I do it, I felt ridiculous, but my left hand was holding a flashlight above his head, mm-hmm. and then my right hand was a pen, mm-hmm. you know, going through HGN. And, um, yeah, I observed six out of six on HGN, and uh, I believe the walk and turn, he, you know, he stepped off the line, and uh, he start too soon. But I think that was me stuttering during the instructions. Sure. You know, and 
first time. I remember, I always struggle with articulating, you know, like the instruction. Mm-hmm. Just because I stammers whenever I get nervous. And, you know, when mm-hmm. you do something so technical, you know, you get stammer. Or at least me. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, I had enough to uh, hook him up. And uh, I hooked him up and I took him to the back of the car. And this is when his demeanor changed. He's like, man, I uh, I think you got the wrong person here. I don't think uh, I, I'm supposed to be here. You got the wrong person? <laughs> yeah. Cause like, like, oh, sorry. We were looking for another trunk. <laughs> no, you, I think you're talking to my passenger there. Yeah, yeah. Um, but no, uh, he was in denial the whole way through, you know, um, he, yeah, yeah. from the second I read him his uh, DIC 24 form. Mm-hmm. He was like, nope, decline, you know, rejection, sure. whatever. Uh, I'm not was giving it, you. Was it his first? Uh, yeah, it was his first DWI. Um, he did not want to give me blood. So we went through that whole deal where, you know, you draft up a warrant, you call a judge at three in the morning. Hey, Judge, I just emailed you a, a warrant. Don't feel bad for them. They get paid well. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I, I got it signed. And then even, like, when we transport him from, from the jail to to the hospital. You did the transport? Yeah. yeah. Basically, like, I was with him from start to finish. So uh, he's like, let let me see the copy of the warrant. You know, I don't believe you're, you're you know, doing the right thing here. And then you did the thing that I used to do where I held it in front of them, like, you look with your eyes, not your fingers. <laughs> you know, like. No, I, I, I wasn't on the job long enough to figure out all those, you know, things. Did you, but, did, you, did you let them see it? But I flipped through it. I was like, okay, here's, you know, my, my probable cause affidavit. Here's where the judge signs. And, you know. What did uh, he say? He's like, okay. You know, he accepted his fate, but he was, he, he like, he really wants to make sure that I was crossing my T's and dotting my I's. Mm-hmm. So we went to the hospital and uh, the nurse there, you know, um, just being nice, like, hey, man, why are you here? You know, to the AP. And um, he's like, I'm not supposed to be here. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, you know, like just me, I, I like to stay quiet and just let my body cam records everything. So uh, anyway, that was my first DWI arrest and his blood um, results came back, I think, like three or four weeks later. Mm-hmm. And he was at um, 0.12, I believe. Yeah, and uh, I felt really proud of myself. What did that feel like? Ah, oh, dude, it's like it's it's like a victory, you know. <laughs> I, I it's like that, you know, like like what you just said from your previous podcast. Like uh, I got him, you know. Mm-hmm. Like I got him, got him off the street. I, you know, stop him from killing a bus full with, you know, filled with uh, orphanage Vietnamese kids. You know, yeah. and uh, it felt really good, and uh, that just basically fuel that fire that within me. Like, okay, let's on to the next one. You know. And it kind of made all your effort worth it, right? All the put downs and the pushback from him, and all the bullshit and stuff. It all makes it worth it. Oh, yeah. And, like, <laughs> you know, I, I can't help but think, like, um, I, I wonder how he feels about what he said that night now. Oh, you know, you know he that, doesn't. That you're not supposed to be here, you know. Like, I, I felt really <clears throat> good on myself, and I'm like, you, you, can, you can say whatever you want, but the blood results don't lie. There's a saying that all defense think, defendants think they're innocent until they see the whites of the juror's eyes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, in the light of day, things will look a lot different. You know, when you're standing in front of that district county judge, 
Go ahead and talk your bullshit now. What was all that, you know, all that racist stuff you were saying in the car about how I should go back to my country? Uh-huh. You know, so, you know, <clears throat> once you get that rush, I mean, do you think there's any other aspect of law enforcement investigations or anything that, that, that mirror DWIs? I've always made the argument that DWIs are, so let's, hit, let's run down the list. It, something you can proactively do on your own every day that is based in science that requires investigative and good interviewing and interrogation skills that uh, entails a lot of technical aspects that require that you kind of be on your game, right? Whether it's the SFST or the blood procedure or the breath procedure and saves lives. It's something you can proactively do and to get that feeling. I mean, I used to walk up to the car and when I smelled that 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 hit that odor of alcohol and i got a little fucking justice boner i was like oh yeah you fucking, i got you now you motherfucker can you i i in my time i can't correlate because it feels great to put a child molester in cuffs it feels great to get that bank robber coming out of the bank uh holding the sack of money with a dollar sign on it for some reason you know yeah i was like i'm like i, I was always like why do they put the money in that it seems obvious no but but I, I, I've always felt that there's no aspect of law enforcement quite like DWI enforcement. Oh, no, you're, I think you're absolutely right, you know. Um, you start chasing it, too, <laughs> a little bit. Oh, yeah, dude. Um, and I think that's, we're not going to get into it, but I think um, once you start having a, like, once your shifts start leading in DWI arrest, that's going to reflect, you know, very terribly um, to your city council. And uh, and to the what? city mayor, there are no drunks in this town. You know, like uh, we don't have any crime. You know, like I get it. We only have two bars in our city, but come on, dude. You know, and um, I I always think back, like whenever I'm out in the street, you know, at twelve, one, eleven o'clock in the morning. Um, I think about that presentation that you gave um, during our uh, DWI class in the academy. Um, I remember for the first hour or so. Uh, you showed basically um, scenes of terrible, terrible car accidents. You know, uh, scenes of police officer getting crashed well, into. Well, let's 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 say his name, right? Kevin Will of the Houston Police Department, right? Absolutely. Who was hit so hard that he was in three pieces on the freeway. And that's what I recalled every single time I was in my police car looking for people who's driving erratically, and you know. Um, anyone who I suspected of DWI, I, I think of that spiel that you gave us. But Officer Bob, DWIs take so much time, and there's so much paperwork. And it's only for a misdemeanor uh, B. My, my fucking vagina has so much <laughs> sand in it. Can you get compress, some compressed air and blast it out <laughs> of my fucking sandy vagina? I mean, that that's the argument, right? I don't want to get torn up like your, your FTO, right? I don't want to get torn up on the stand. Get fucking better. Exactly. You know, and and uh, I just I just don't get it, man. Like um, you're the same analogy that you put in my mind was that like we're we're police officers, we run towards the gunfire, we fight. You know, um, we we go into dangerous situations every single day, and yet we're scared of a, a person in a three piece suit in a courtroom yeah. asking you questions. Yeah. Right, and and that just somehow gave me a lot of courage. 
you know, to be like, okay, what's the worst I can get? Right. They tear me up. They make me look like an idiot. Sometimes I listen back to the things I've said. And I'm like, wow. <laughs> Point. Wow. Uh, and uh, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm still reveling in my <laughs> poignancy, if that's a word. No, I mean it's true, right? I mean, so you know, when, when we talk about like, I, I, I've, I may have brought this up before, but it's like, and you know, it'll be repeated on the podcast. But we'll fucking run over each other for a joint. You know, these fucking departments they'll post to their Facebook pictures like, you know, the two joints like keeping the streets safe. You know, cops standing in front of it like we got thirty three dollars from this fucking drug kingpin. <laughs> you know, say hashtag fuck it. You, you know, I'm like, okay, where are the posts about the DWI leaders? Nobody gives a fucking shit about DWIs, which I would argue is a far more has a far more direct impact on the deaths of on the tangible, co- correlative, causative reasons for people's deaths. Yes, a person gets addicted to heroin and alcohol. Okay, shit, yes. Okay, no, no question that drugs are bad. Okay. But how many cops have been murdered by a joint versus DWIs, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's so anathema to me because, you know, we're so, we're so tough, right? We're just fucking, look at my fucking, my 5'11 pants. It's just tactical fucking triple blade. This holster is a level 37. You know, you got to fucking put your dick in it and, and come into it to get the gun out. And we're so like, but some, it, it, and the, uh, the ultimately, ultimately, I think the bottom line is, you know, a lot of people take the easy way out. Yeah, I, I think so. I, I think that when it comes to the action, you know, like uh, let's serve this warrant, let's, you know, um, do this, um, traffic stop let's let's do this family violence let's respond to a shooting whatever we're quick to do that but whenever we have to sit down and document what we just did yeah. uh, well, it was uh, paperwork yeah, case um, um, case law article 18 uh. <laughs> yeah like i mean i you know i i hate to admit it but i feel like that sometimes too you know whereas like oh, dude i'm taking my fourth like you know death like reports now you know, this guy skipped scan at Walmart. You know, this guy fucking ran out the CVS without paying for it. I'm taking like 20 of those a day. You know, hyper, you know, exaggerating, but yeah, I I do feel like that sometimes. Mm-hmm. But you know, we we cross our T's and we dot our eyes. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's just you know like uh, perks of the job. Mm-hmm. You do your job and you go home. And that's what you get paid to do. Best arrest you've ever had. Most satisfying. Gave you a just full on. You went from six to midnight. Justice boner. <laughs> just fucking, you know, just uh, hit that, hit the, hit the undercarriage of your Crown Vic. You know, just oh yeah. Uh, we we drive Tahoes, but uh, yeah, that was before my time. You know, the, the I, Crown I, I get it. Yes, you're so. Oh my God, you're, you're so young right. and supple. Were you alive and, and during you, the Great Depression? Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> you know, back in the 1820s. <laughs> When we were patrolling, I was a night watchman, right? <laughs> like here with a nightstick. All here, all's well. Twelve o'clock and all's well. I, I, when I was the night watchman, I lit a green candle, a green lamp next to my door, so people would know that I was the one on duty. Oh, dude, what's all this then? 
but but be, be, best caller best best caller best caller you've you've ever had. <laughs> so um, it, it wasn't My really producers laughing. It it wasn't. Uh, I didn't personally put handcuffs on him. Mm. He turned himself in. Mm. But uh, I I always think about this arrest whenever you know someone asks me like what's the most satis- what what is the moment where you felt the most satisfaction about your job. Mm. Um, so we we answering we answered this call where this lady which is hysterical she was like hey uh, you guys need to come right now there's a girl who is sunburnt to death you know not sunburnt to death but she was very dehydrated she was mm-hmm. sunburnt day she's, shift this is obviously day shift yeah this was back when I was on day shift and she's banging on my door and she's crazy and we don't want to open the door because we don't know what kind of drug she's on so we responded to there and I saw this girl she is I'd say 18, 19, 20 years old. Mm-hmm. And she is hysterical. I mean, like, she looks like she's been outside for, like, she she mm-hmm. was stuck out in the desert for, like, 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, So I, I, I gave her some water. I set her in the back of the car. I was like, hey, what's going on? You f- you first on scene? Uh, I was first, me and my FTO, yes. Oh, okay. And uh, I, I sat her in the back of the car, turned on the AC. And this is, like, I'd say, like, April, May, where the weather gets kind of hot here in Texas. And uh, I would just, you know, turn on the AC and I ask her and she's just could not stop crying. She is hysterical. And uh, I just gave her some time and she's like, uh, she's finally, you know, tell her story in between her hiccups. Uh, She told me like, um, I was just able to escape my my boyfriend's garage. Um, So to to make the story shorter is that she met this guy online. Mm She, uh, he asked her to move in with her, so she did. She moved. Uh, it was kind of a sad story because her, her and her mom were living in hotels and you know going mm-hmm. around different hotels, uh, and so whenever he asked her to move in with her, with him, she did, and um, everything goes well for the first few months. But then he started becoming very jealous, and he started becoming very abusive. Where's the Where's the mom? Uh, mom in, is in another hotel. Wow. Who knows? But uh, basically, um, this guy became really possessive to a point where he went out, got a shock collar like for dog training, strap it on her, and crank it up to the max, and says, "Look, if you misbehave or if you don't do you, you don't do what I said, you're gonna get shock." And it went on like this for like right. weeks. And then, you know, one day she talked back to him and, you know, it had a giant meltdown. And um, he decided to lock her outside. Mm-hmm. And then when she starts screaming and hollering, he locks her in his garage mm-hmm. and just locked the garage. And, you know, keep in mind, this is in the middle of May, sure. June, super hot in there. And, you know, like there was a good chance that she might die sure. if she couldn't escape. But miraculously, she escaped and she went to the next door neighbor and she banged on the door right. and that's how we responded and uh essentially we were able to narrow down like what kind of car he drives and uh what he looks like does she not know the address she does she doesn't even know where she is by the point that we discovered her she don't even okay. know what city she was in because she was in, so severely she's, right. distraught she's in shock yeah, and so, but we weren't able to narrow down what kind of car he drives, and, you know, we knocked on his door. Obviously, he ain't opening. Um, and I mean, while, I'm sorry. If she's knocking on the neighbor's door, doesn't the neighbor just go, yeah, she came out of that house? No. Or, 
I, I think he he kept her in his house, like, and would not let her get out. Mm-hmm. You know, just kind of keep her there. So nobody saw what how she came from. Yeah, like I think she was able to escape the garage, and she just ran like, I think across the street or next door. Right. But essentially, um, she was able to give us the inform like the details of what car he drives. And while I was interviewing her in the back of my car, I saw that car drove by. You know, and um, I got on the radio. My partner, like you know, it was like, hey, uh, there's a you know a, a, a white toyota driving around in the area that could be the suspect vehicle could you guys like it's always a white toyota I'm, I'm just making that up but um it's actually actually a white chevy malibu or a silver dodge charger <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> so we circled the block and we searched the area uh and i think you know once you see like a few police cars in your neighborhood you knew something's up so he he did not show up and uh, we took her back to our uh, station, trying to find the next of kin. She couldn't, she could not remember. Uh, she don't have a phone number one, number two. She don't know any contact information. Mm-hmm. You know, all she knows is, you know, um, her mom's name. Mm-hmm. She don't have an ID, anything like that on her. So um, I think we had CID came in and uh, CID essentially was able to get her into one of those like woman shelter place mm-hmm. in Dallas. And that was the end of it. But um, I filed that police report and, um, you know, we filed, I believe it was family violence impeding breath, which uh, is a felony. And uh, we started having. Um, you, so you had the suspect's name at this point? Yeah, we were able to narrow him down. Mm-hmm. CID, I don't know what special tools they have, but they're, they're very. low or something. They're or very quick on it. Yeah, so. Uh, something. We we learned that um, him and his dad were in on this. Him and his dad were like um, some sort of like really weird nuclear family, mm-hmm. you know, where they take in like these young impressionable girls and like they would do all these mind games to them. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, we knocked on the door, no answer. And, you know, we have like a, a search warrant for him. We're having a arrest warrant for him. And uh, you have both. No, we have an arrest warrant. I'm sorry. Yeah. And um, essentially, we we got the word out, like, hey, we're going after you. If you don't give yourself up now, we'll find you. And uh, lo and behold, like a week later, he dressed up all nice, you know, like button-up shirt and khakis. He walked into the police lobby. He's like, hey, I'm here to give myself up. And um, I was like, there you go. So we, uh, I was personally the one that took him from our uh, city jail to the county jail to Lusteret, and uh, I, I filed uh, an emergency protective order uh, for his girlfriend against him, and uh, I wrapped that up. And I just, every time I think back about it, I was like, you know, that 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 gave me the most satisfaction out of any arrest I've ever made. You were there for her in the time of need, right? Yeah, like uh, I, I took her, I, I saved her from that environment, and I made sure that he can't be, you know, anywhere near her. Uh, and I, I was the one that transported him from the city jail to the county jail, so I knew that he's being kept away for a long time, and uh, she's better off now. And I think uh, that made me really happy inside.
Thanks so much for listening, subscribing, and sharing. If you enjoyed this, tell a friend. Our next episode will be released next week. www.nfipodcast.com YouTube at NFI Podcast Email podcast at nfipodcast.com Stay safe out there and remember, do your job.